listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus 19 as we continue through this, this book. Let's see how educated we are at our 8 o'clock service. Um, I'm going to read a, a text, see if you know where this is from. All right, we'll know if you paid attention in high school. I got to read it because I don't memorize it. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and posterity, do ordain and establish this what? Constitution, very good. What is, what is the name of that section of the Constitution called? Anyone know? The pre- Man, y'all are smart. That's right. It is the preamble of the United States Constitution. And if you're an attorney, do not email me because I don't really care nor know. But I, I think after reading this preamble for the first time in several years, I, I, I've established myself at least two reasons why they, this preamble was written to the Constitution. Number one, it shows the purpose of the Constitution. And there's several of them, right? Even though they, sent, they spelled defense wrong, they spelled it like a, a good Brit, but uh, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, our perfect union, all these reasons why, it's the why behind the Constitution. That's one purpose. And, and there's another purpose that I kind of saw there, and there's probably more attorneys you can tell me later. But the other one is to establish who is the one, who's the heavy here? Where does the power lie? It's, it lies in that first phrase, we, the people. The power, uh, according to the Constitution, is not in the government, it's in the people behind the government. And why do I tell you this? Not because I want to do a history lesson, although it would be good for some of us probably. Uh, because we're coming to a section of Exodus uh, where, the, where the, everything switches. The first half of the, of the book is 1 through 18, where we saw the exodus. We saw the deliverance of the people of God. And chapter 19 on, we're going to see the people of God enter into covenant with God. Very significant piece of their history. And chapter 19, in essence, functions as the preamble for the covenant. And the, the same purposes of the United States Constitution's preamble, it, talking about the who and the why, is what chapter 19 gives. It's the who and the why of the covenant of God with his people, the Mosaic covenant. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this preamble today, uh, this, this section, uh, because it's important for the people of God and it's important for us. It's this covenant language. And I know we don't use that word a lot outside of marriage, right? This idea of covenant, but it's a, it's a sacred pact. It's a promise that God is making. In, in my kind of simple mind, it's, it's the pact that, that Mr. Miyagi makes with Daniel's son. Right, right after he says that whole like, you know, you karate yes, you karate no, you karate so, so, squished like grape. He says, he says Daniel's son, let's first make sacred pact. I promise teach karate, that my part. You promise learn. I say, you do. No questions asked. That's your part. That's a, that's a covenant, in essence, a simplified version. This is my part. I teach. You learn. This is your part, right? And that's what God is going to do in this, in this next section of, of Exodus. But he's going to start with this preamble to give us the why. And then he's going to give us the who behind it, right? 
And so we're going to look at it. And I think this is significant because it's easy for us as the church living on this side of the cross, living under the new covenant, not under the Mosaic covenant, to get tripped up when it comes to passages like this. So what do you do with passages like this? Right? This is why your Bible reading plan dies every year in Leviticus. Right? It's February, you're on a good path, you come to Leviticus, you never get to Joshua. Right? Because of passages like this. Or where you get to a college class or someone says, well, you Christians say this is, this is part of what you believe, but how come you still eat shellfish? How come some of y'all still wearing polyester blends? Mixed clothing. You're not wearing tassels in your hair. You're not wearing ephods. You're not doing this. So why? And some of us get tripped up with things like that, right? Do you know the answers to those things? And so understanding the why and the who behind the law, I think it'll help us living on this side where there is a continuity with the Old Testament law, but there's also a discontinuity and help us understand. Because let me, let me give you a secret. The why and the who for the new covenant are pretty similar to the why and the who of the old, right? It just looks a little bit different. Um, for different reasons. So hopefully you get some of those ideas answered today as we look at chapter 19. And so where we've been, we kind of skipped a week for, for Mother's Day. If you've been gone for a little bit, you've been a guest. The last time we were together, Moses got some great lessons from his father-in-law on leadership and how to, to lead the people. We've seen them come through the Red Sea. We've seen their first battle. We've seen God provide manna. We've seen plagues. We've seen all this. And, and, and Moses is in essence being led by the cloud to, back to Mount Sinai. And this is where this whole thing started back in Exodus 3. Moses on Mount Sinai and God shows up in a bush and he promises him, you are gonna lead all those people back here, right? And the rest of the book is going to be there, okay? It's gonna be sitting at that mountain uh, as the people of God enter into covenant with their God. And so they're on the way back and we're gonna start out by seeing the why and then we'll see the who. Let me just jump right in, verse one. Chapter 19, on the third new moon, so we're about three months out from, from the plagues from the Passover, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day when they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and you tell the people of Israel. And so they're at the mountain. And we don't know exactly where this mountain is. Tradition says that it's this place called Jabal Musa in modern day Egypt, right? So you see down there where the little one is, that's where most people think Mount Sinai is. We're not 100% sure. We're not 100% sure. Although there is a monastery, the monastery of St. Catherine's. There's a picture of it that's been there for like a thousand years. Um, built at the bottom of this mountain. That could be Mount Sinai. Here's a nerd interesting fact for some of you nerd interesting fact people. Uh, the oldest copy, a full copy of the New Testament scriptures, it's called Codex Sinaiticus, was found in this monastery in about 1870. Uh, it dates to about thir- 4th century AD. It's a complete New Testament uh, copy of, in, the, in the Greek manuscript. Um, does nothing to do with this, but it's, it is a significant reason why you have a New Testament today that was found in that. And they're finding, they have like a library that just got piles of papers. They're finding new manuscripts constantly uh, in, that, in that monastery. Anyway, back to the sermon. All right, so Moses is going to be, they're all at the bottom of this mountain. And Moses, we're gonna see, is gonna go up and down the mountain like an elevator. I mean, he's getting his steps in. He's kind of like, God's gonna like, come up here. And he's gonna come up, tell him this. And he walks down and then he, this is what God says. And then God says, come up here. And he runs back up and down. So 80 year old dude running up and down the mountain, uh, being the messenger, the mediator between God and his people. Verse four, 
And so God uh, is going to enter into covenant and he says this, you yourselves, tell them this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's winds and brought you to myself. Let's unpack that. So it starts out you yourself and any good English teacher would say, that's a redundant statement. You, you could just say you. What are you trying to get a word count, high school student? I got to get to 500 words. You yourself sounds good. No, you don't need to say it. You could just say you. But God is trying to put emphasis in saying, you, y'all, you saw this. You saw what I did to Egypt. You saw how I crushed my enemies, your enemies. You saw the plagues. You saw the walls of water. You saw the quail. You saw the manna. You saw how I set you free. And here's what I want you to see first. This is, a, this is an important piece, okay? Here's one of the whys behind the covenant. Here's one of the whys behind the law, right? And this is one of the most common misconceptions with the Old Testament law. The law was for a purchased people. What do I mean by that? Salvation came before service. Liberty came before law. They're a free people, right? They're already free. This is not how to get free. There's a misconception in the church that in the Old Testament, people were saved by keeping the Ten Commandments and keeping the law. Not only is that not possible, but that's not true. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. It's always been repenting of sins and trusting in God. That's always been. Now, the revelation has been, you know, more so as time went on until we have the fulfillment of it with Christ. But it wasn't, you keep the law, you're you're good with God. That's not what it was. These people are already redeemed. They came under the blood of the lamb. They came through the waters of baptism of the Red Sea. Now they're serving their God. So understand that the law is for a purchased people, right? That's, That's significant, it's because, again, there's a, there's a misconception. The law was this thing that was trying to hem God's people in and it's kind of imprison them and make them miserable. Is that, is that what the verse sounds like? I rescued you. I bore you on eagle's wings. Like a, like a mother eagle who just cares for her young and carries them. Picture the Lord of the Rings, right? Remember that, you know, the, the eagles come in and save you at the last moment, Gandalf and then Frodo, which begs the question, why couldn't the eagles just take them all the way to Mount Doom, drop the ring in, and it'll be over, right? Then you wouldn't have a big book. But that's another story. But that's the picture. I say, like, a, like an eagle who just rescues her young, I bring you. And notice it says, I brought you where? To me. I'm bringing you to me. Not just bringing out, I'm bringing you in to serve me. I came and saved you so you could be with me. God wants an intimate relationship with his people. And they were passive in their deliverance, but they are not gonna be passive in their response, right? He doesn't save them, by the way, because they're so great and so lovely. He saves them because he is the original lover. That's why he saves them. But understand right up front, the law is the purpose of it. It's for a purchased people, a freed people, a saved people. That is significant. When Mr. Miyagi goes to Daniel's son and says, you teach, I learn. Daniel's already been saved from the Cobra Kai. He already saved them. Right? He rescued him. Now this is, this, is, this is for a saved people. And so he's gonna have this define the relationship talk. You know, you've had one of those when you're dating. This is the, this, okay, what, what are we? This is a define the relationship talk. I teach, you learn, right? Verse five, therefore, 
Remember, when you see therefore, you ask, what's it there for, therefore? Because I saved you, because I rescued you, because I brought you to myself, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, there it is, covenant. Look what he says. You will be my treasured possession among the people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words I want you to speak to the people of Israel. So let's, let's slowly unpack that. First, he says this. If you do these things, you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Think about that statement. And then he, and then he highlights, by the way, all the earth is mine. So everything in the earth, precious, unprecious, is mine. Everything in the universe is mine. But if you will do this, you will be not, not just one of my possessions, you'll be that treasured possession. It's a word in the Hebrew that's used when David is, is just using the, the treasury to build the temple, the first temple. He puts all this government money to build this temple. But then he takes out, it says, his treasure. That not just like the government's money, this is my special stuff. This is David, King David's special loot. And he puts that in with that pile too. That's the idea. It's, it's distinct, it's special. You get this, right? Some of you have that special, precious thing. Maybe it's a, a piece of jewelry your mom passed down, a ring. Maybe you have a, a classic car, a, a you know, baseball card collection, or there's that driver, that special driver that you got, or whatever. And it's, it's not common. It's what? It's precious. It's distinct. It's separate, right? And how do you treat something that's special? You're washing that classic car with a diaper. Don't touch it. I don't ever drive it, but don't touch it. Right, we only put you know, marine gas in this thing. Right? No ethanol gas. We, we treat it distinct. We treat it with honor and care. And here's the second thing I want you to see about the law. It's for a purchased people. It's for a precious people. For a precious people. That's what God is saying. The law is for something that he is passionate about. It's for something that he cares about. That he treats well. Again, misconception, the law is harsh, the law is mean. No, the law was actually meant so that the people of God could flourish. It was to create a society that was, was good and that you would want to be in, right? That, that people could thrive and that you would want to live in because without law, it's what chaos. When I became a PE teacher, I stepped in in the middle of the year. I was 22 years old uh, and, the, and the guy before me, uh, had mailed it in like a year before. He was running a business on the side. So he basically just kind of like rolled the balls out and the kids would just be like, you know, come in. And so when I came in my first day, it was chaos. I mean, he had like no rules, dodgeball stuff. I mean, just crazy. And, and what would happen? It was very Darwinian. It was survival of the fittest. It was, you know, piles of people here, kids to the nurses. It was just chaos. Only the strong survived. And so I had to establish some structure and law so that we could actually do some teaching and so that I could actually meet the state standards and all these things. But, but it was for their flourishing so people wouldn't die from getting pummeled from dodgeballs, right? It was for their good. The world at this time is chaos. It's wicked, right? I, th I think about what Pharaoh was doing. He was throwing babies into the river and that was normal. That's the kind of society. You had prostitution and in the, in the, in the cult prostitution in the temples. You had women and children abused, murdered, child sacrifice. It was, it was a violent, 
destructive, dark place to live. And God is saying, no, we're going to be different. Um, I want this to be a, a culture and a country where people want to be, right? Where I say, love my neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, not kill your neighbor as yourself. Right. If, if your neighbor's donkey gets out and he doesn't know, here's, here's what the law says. Go get their donkey and help them find their donkey. Right? If, if you have uh, aliens and strangers come, not aliens from sky, like if you have foreigners come in, uh, treat them well. Treat them kindly. In fact, I want you to, to, if you have a big field, I don't want you to cut the corners of your field. I want you to leave that for the poor. You can take the big part of the field, leave that because they need to eat too. If, and if your buddy is short on rent that month, you lend him money and don't charge him interest. And I want you to teach people to honor their father and their mother uh, because if, if people can learn to ha- sit under authority, it's gonna be good for the society. It's gonna be a good thing for people. And here's what I want you to do. I want, no, I want nothing open on Saturdays. I want, no, I want people sleeping in on Saturdays. I don't want dogs running. I don't want cows in the field. I want everyone to chill on Saturday because y'all need a day off to just enjoy each other. He's creating a society that is good that you would want to be in, right? Because the law is for a precious people. And, and yes, we're not under the Mosaic law. We don't, we're allowed to eat some barbecue and we can wear polyester if we want. But the principle is this. When God gives a command, when he gives instruction, it's good because we're his precious people. So when he says, do, do that, or don't do that, it's a good thing. It is for your good. When he says, young folks, guard your purity, it's for your good. When he says, don't, don't, uh, don't go out and, and try to get all the stuff you can get and don't go out in a major debt, it's for your good. When he tells you to tell the truth and honor your father and mother, it's good. When he says, forgive people. It's for your good. When he says flee immorality, it's for your good, right? Because God's direction is good because we are his precious people and we are his purchased people. And that's the point of the law. It's for a precious people, something he deeply loves and cares about. But he continues. He says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be my treasure, but you're also going to be a kingdom of priests. Second Third thing is that the law was for a priestly people. Remember what the priests do. The priests are the go-betweens between God and man. And so they intercede, but they also invite. And the idea would be this. Well, he's telling Israel, I want y'all to serve me. I want y'all to love me and follow me. And I am going to bless your socks off. And then what's gonna happen is the world is gonna say, what is going on down in Israel? And they're gonna come and see And when they come and see, you can tell them it's because God is so good to us. He's blessing us because God is so good. That was the point. They were to be a blessing to all the nations so that the world would come and see the God of Israel. And and this, they struggled with this, but probably the best time of this that has ever happened was under the kingdom of Solomon. And that's exactly what happened. The queen of Sheba hears what's going on. She comes into town and, and she is blown away with what all that God has done and how wise Solomon is and how rich and how much blessing. And she says, I heard all these things and it wasn't even half true. 
That's how good God is. So blessed be the God of Israel for giving you as a king and for loving you and for doing this. That's that what was supposed to happen for them if they kept the covenant, right? But here's where there's a discontinuity for us. Does God still want us to be a blessing to the nations? Absolutely. Does he still want us to be priests to intercede and imitate and invite? Absolutely. But here's where the difference in the old covenant and the new. In the old covenant, they were to stay in the land. Do not leave the land. If you leave the land, it's bad. Stay in the land and they will come to you. In the New Testament, what does God say? Get out of the land. Where they were to come and see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's go and be, right? Let your light shine before men and they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So we're to go to the nations. We're to go and be a blessing. And the idea is this, wherever you show up at work, school, home, office tomorrow, you're a priest. You're a go-between between God and man where you point people to him, you imitate him, you invite to him, whether it's in Africa or whether it's on Abercorn. That's the idea, that you are to be a priest. And that means that there should be something distinct. And this is, this is what happens with, when I go out, you know, I, meet, I see some of y'all out and, and you introduce me to your friend. This is my pastor, Bill, and everything, the, the conversation turns because just a minute ago, they're swearing like sailors and all of a sudden, they are, they're telling me about their Sunday school class, right? Because there's something about the priest that makes the situation different, right? That's the point for all of us. That when you're in the office, people are like, the priest is here. The priest is here. There's a distinction, right? Because you are imitating and you're interceding and it's go and be. This is why we tell you when we leave, what do we say? Go and be the church. That's the mission of God because you're his priest and the law was for a priestly people. Also says it was for to be a holy nation. Holy nation. We've seen this again before too, right? That there's, and the word holy means other, separate apart, distinct. And so the law was for a purchased people and a priestly people and a precious people. And then the law I needed to pee is for a peculiar people. And I don't mean weird, although some of us are, but I do mean different, distinct, set apart, there was things that God had the Old Testament, uh, under the Old Testament covenant, Mosaic law, that just set them apart from the rest of the world. You're not gonna eat shellfish. You're not gonna do this. You're not gonna do that, right? It made them distinct. And some of those things, especially the ceremonial things, they're, they're not in play because God says uh, in the book of Acts, kill and eat. Go eat you some bacon, amen. Go eat you some barbecue, amen. Go eat some shrimp cocktail, go, amen, right? Those things are not in play, but there are still things that make us distinct. The moral sense of the law is still there. The ceremonial, oh, not as much, but the moral law, it is still in play. The principle is still there and it's repeated throughout the New Testament. You shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be distinct in the way you date and the way you spend your money and the way you talk to your parents and the way you treat your boss and your teachers and your neighbor and because that's me and you're my priest and you're my precious and I purchased you. So you're to be peculiar. And it just, really, the, 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 end, the end thing is, our worldview, our purpose is different. It just is. I was watching a video this week, two pastors uh, debating uh, the LGBTQA question mark, de the debate in the church, right? And one of them was, was on this side and the other one was on this side. And after an hour and a half video, I realized, I realized it earlier, but it, 
if I would talk to the guy that I agreed with, I would say, this wasn't really a debate about those issues. This was a debate about uh, worldview. Because in the end, one of them was saying, here, this is what scripture says. This is what the scripture teaches. This is what uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 say. And the other one was saying, yeah, but we, we don't really know. We don't really know. This was a, really a debate about who has authority and where the truth is. That's what it was about. When it comes down to it, and for us to be a peculiar people, what we're gonna do then is we're gonna filter everything we see and everything we do and everything we know through what God has said. That's what we do, right? We trust in the authority of scripture. If he says this about me, I'm a female, this is true. If he says this about marriage, this is true. If he says this about money, this is true. If he says this about intimacy, this is true. That's, that's what we do. That, that's how we're peculiar. And so what's going to happen if that's what you do is you are going to have a the kingdom values are upside down, right? So what is greatness? Greatness is not a dock and a boat and a Tesla and a beach house and power and authority. Greatness, because the biblical filter is being the least of these. You wanna be first, you gotta be last. That's greatness, right? If, if, if you ask over here, how do, we, how do we live our lives? Well, we just pull ourselves up by a bootstrap. We have self-esteem. We believe in ourselves. You can do anything. You can do anything. And the kingdom values says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over here, it's get, 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 get. Save for retirement, save for, save for retirement. Get, 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 get. Over here, it's, it is better to give than to receive. See, this is what having a, a, a biblical worldview, this is what it means to be peculiar, right? And let's, can we own the fact, because I know sometimes we make it oversimplistic and you probably grew up in church backgrounds. That's not always easy. Can we, can we agree? It is not easy to fight sin. It is not easy to tell your friends when they say, we're gonna go there and you, feel, you can't go there and you say, no, I, I'm not gonna go there. That's not easy. So let's stop telling your teenagers it's easy. It's not easy because you don't do it either. Right? It's hard to fight sin. It is hard when your right hand causes you to stumble to cut it off. It's hard. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. And that's what being a peculiar, precious, priestly, purchased people is. That's what God's calling us to. That's why he gives us, that's why he gives them the law. That's what he wants from them. That's, yeah, the Mosaic law, all the little detail, not all there. But does God still want us to, as his purchased people, as his precious people, to be peculiar and priests? He does. And he repeats it throughout the New Testament, right? So that is their part. That's Mr. Miyagi. Your part, learned. Ask no questions. Now let's look at God's part. Because he is going to reveal who's the we the people behind this preamble. And it's not we the people, let me just tell you. In the Constitution, the power lies what? With the people. In the preamble to the covenant, where's the power lie? not the people. And God is going to make that uber clear, right? Uh, let's, let's jump in verse seven and eight. We'll move quickly through the last half. So Moses came, called the elders of the people, set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they don't even know what he's spoken yet because they don't have any of it, but they're like, we're in. We don't know what it is, but we're in. And so Moses goes back up the mountain and says, the people are in. They say they're in, God, Right? That's at the end of the verse. And Moses reported the words. Verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. 
So when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on the mountain Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so Moses goes up, go down. He says, just tell the people I'm coming. Get ready on the third day. I'm, this, is, this is an amazing scene, y'all. This is the only time that I can find in the Bible up to this point and really in the old, a whole, really up until the book of Revelation where God shows up in front of two million people and two million people are gonna hear God speak, right? This is super unique until the kingdom at the end, right? Until the end when we see Jesus face to face and he's on the throne. This is, this is very special. And God is gonna reveal two things about himself. And this is significant because of where he's going with the covenant. I think I'll show you in a minute. He's gonna reveal two things about who he is and what he is like. Here's the first one. He reveals his imminence. And the word imminence just means nearness. God draws near. We don't have some abstract God who's up out of space somewhere, just raw power, just doing whatever. That's not who he is. He comes near to his people. He is personal. He stoops down. He condescends. He speaks. He supports. He leads. Our God shows up and draws near. And when he does, what does he tell his people to do? Get ready. He says, three days. I mean, it can't, be, it can't be by accident. By the way, he says, get ready for the third day. Could it? Get ready for the third day? But he says, get ready. And how are they supposed to get ready? He's gonna tell them, wash your clothes. And he says, and stay away from your wives. No loving, right? Women weak in legs, rock. Stay away from your wives for three days. Not because that's bad, but because this is different. This is unique. This is something special is going to happen. And just so you know, this has been misused in the church. You says, wash your clothes. It doesn't mean you have to wear a tie and coat and dress up for church. That's not what that means. But it is interesting that he's telling them to wash their clothes in where? The desert, where water is scarce. Isn't that interesting? There's not a lot of water. You can just go down to the laundry mat, put, put a Tide Pod in and a buck 50 and get your clothes clean. You got to sacrifice. But the idea here is something is special and something is unique and, and God is not to be treated with commonality. He's not to be treated flippantly. When your God shows up, even though he's the one drawing near in his grace, it's not a casual thing. I think this is a good word for us in the church today where we see God as Santa Claus in the sky doesn't really care about anything, doesn't really do anything, kind of just whatever you want, y'all. You're my grandkids. To remember that he's still the king. He is still the sovereign, right? Just like C.S. Lewis says, he is not a tame lion, all right? Is he safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. And there's a tension for us living on this side of the covenant where we know God is an intimate heavenly father, right? Where he says, draw near, but he's still the king. He's still the king. So he is imminent, but also this text is gonna show us that he is transcendent. And this is a word that means he is other. He is different. He is not like you. He is distinct. He is infinite, man is finite. He is wholly other. Right? He is unlike us. And so what he tells them, let's move quickly, verse 12. He says, Moses, set limits for the people. Take care not to go up to the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. Whoever touches it, dead. And he said, no hand shall touch the person that touches the mountain. 
So if someone goes up and touches the mountain and then you can't even go kill him, you have to shoot him with an arrow or stone him because if you touch him, then you're dead. That's how distinct and holy God is. So if your dog goes up wandering on the hill, don't even go get your dog. That's, that's how distinct you're supposed to be here, right? No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot. And so when, then, when you hear this trumpet, a long blast, everyone's supposed to come up to the mountain. Verse 14. So Moses went down to the mountain. He tells the people, he consecrates people. They wash their garments. He says to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. You, we can't even begin to understand this right now. But just you wake up to this heavenly trumpet that is pulsing. You think loud music in church is bad? You're wrong. Right here, I have proof. This is loud, the smoke, the mountain is shaking. The people are trembling, right? Verse 17, Moses brings the people out. You can imagine this was not a run to the mountain. This is a shuffle. Who's going first? I don't like getting near that thing, right? And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it like fire. The smoke went up like a smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And, as, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke to God. I guess he said, we're here, right? And so God tells him, verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called, said, come to me. You come up to me and Moses went up. So understand here, you got other passages that highlight this. You go to the end of chapter 20 after God's given the 10 commandments, verse 18. The people saw the flashes and thunders of lightning, the sound of the trumpet. They were afraid, they trembled, they stood far off. They told Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but let, don't let God speak anymore. His voice was causing them to tremble. You read the book of Hebrews, it says they begged they begged Moses, tell God to stop talking. We'll listen to you. That's how powerful and scared these people are. Unless you think that Moses is like, you're right, I got this. Moses says, Hebrews 12 says that Moses told God, I tremble with fear. Everyone is freaking out when God shows up. And just understand, this is just a fraction of the power and the might of God showing up on a mountain. And, and what is the point for us? Because how do we approach this? You need to understand this is your God. The way he deals with people in the new covenant under the, versus the old is differently. This is the same God yesterday, today, forever. This is your God. When he shows up, people freak out because he is a mighty and powerful God. And the lesson for us is, yes, you have a God that draws near and grace, but he is still this transcendent, holy majestic, powerful, mighty God. And so verse 21, he warns Moses again. He says, go down and warn the people lest they break through and, and look, and many of them perish. Let the priests come near to me, consecrate themselves, let the Lord break out against them. And Moses said, I don't think people are coming. <laughs> they weren't. People cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you set limits. You warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said, go down, bring up Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up against the Lord lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then the next thing you get next week, we'll see, it's 10 commandments. This is the context for the 10 commandments, right? But here's what I want you to see. God's nearness and his unnearness are, are who he is. And we need to grasp that 
even as New Testament saints, this is your God. Because when you see his, his grandness and his majesticness, it should cause you, like it does them, to say, woe is me, I am a sinful man. When Jesus catches a bunch of fish, this is a, a mini miracle for him. Jesus catches a bunch of fish after Peter and them are, are fishing all night and they catch nothing. Uh, they get a bunch of fish and what does Peter do? He falls on his face, he looks at Jesus and says, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinner. That's just a little miracle. When you stand next to this God, it shows you your smallness and his majesticness. But then at the same point, when you embrace that and understand, but yet he still draws near to you and he wants relationship with you, it should cause us to marvel. This is why we cannot lose sight of the gospel. We cannot, the incarnation that God comes to us and becomes man, it should blow our socks off. It's why we constantly come back to us because we, we lose sight of the transcendence of God. We love the nearness and the imminence, but we, we lose sight of his, his power and his majesty. And we cannot church because this, when, he, when this book is open, whether it's me or Joe Schmo up here, it's not me speaking, it's his word. And people of God should come with their clothes washed and ready to hear what their mighty God has to say. That's the idea. That when God speaks, his people, knowing that we are precious and priestly, are be peculiar and we've been purchased, we come and say, you're a mighty God. And here's why I think this is significant for the, next part of the, uh, for the first part of the covenant. What does the first three commandments have to do with? Have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Honor my name. Do you think anybody at that moment is thinking, yeah, I really want to go make a golden calf and bow down to it because it seems like it would match this mountain rock and rolling thing. He shows him his might. So it's pretty easy to say, this is, this is God. This is definitely a better God than that. Yet they still do that because of the fickleness of man. And, and I think the point is this for us. Right? When we understand the grandness and the bigness of God and yet his love and his grace, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does Jesus say is the fulfillment of all Big Ten and all the other 600? Love God with your whole heart, love your neighbor as yourself. If you can see God for who he is, his bigness, his grandness, his majesticness, his glory, and yet how he moves towards us compassion, you'll fulfill the law, the law of love. That's the idea. He's showing who he is so they won't be tempted. Yeah, I really wanna worship Baal. Yeah, I really wanna worship this guy. I really wanna make me a, a cow out of gold. It's the same for us, to grasp who he is, right? And to love him with our whole heart. And the problem is we don't, which is to come back to what we talked about earlier. Here's another point and purpose of the law, one more. Right, why in the preamble, what's, what's the point of the law? The law was a professor. Again, I needed a P, not a great word, but you get the idea. What does a professor do? He teaches, points to something. Galatians says this, the law was our guardian. It's the word pedagogy in the Greek. It teaches, it trains, it points to. What does the law ultimately do? It teaches me about sin and it teaches me I can't keep the law. You can't get, you can't do it. And if you're guilty in one point, by the way, James says you're guilty of the whole thing. And the point of the law was to show you you can't, get, you can't keep the law. You need God's grace. And the point of the law was to point you to one who would come, who was not like us, but became near to us and kept it in every single way. There was not a time that he didn't love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was not a time that he lusted. There wasn't a time that he didn't honor his father and mother. There wasn't a time that he coveted. There wasn't a time that he lied. It wasn't a time he didn't do all of it perfectly. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. 
And the point of the law was to show you you can't do it and there has to be a better law. There has to be a better covenant. So you read Hebrews 12. Don't have time to go there. It says, you don't want to come to Mount, Mount uh, Sinai where you couldn't touch it and there was fear and there was trembling and there was all these things. You want to come to Mount Zion where there is a festival and a party. And that Mount Zion is there because there was a different covenant and a different mediator. And his name was Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is why Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is why Ezekiel promises, I will make a new covenant with my people. I will put my law on their hearts, not on stone, in their hearts, inside them. God says, you don't have to come to a mountain to be near me. I'm gonna put my spirit in you. That's the new covenant. Same God, different covenant. Right, so when God speaks, we listen. Because this is who he is. And CBC, I told you back when we started this book, one of the reasons, one of the purposes is so that we would have a big view of God. That's what we want. And Jesus, in the words of Mr. Miyagi, this is my part, this is your part. What does Jesus say? As a mediator of the new covenant, this is my part. I will live the life you cannot live. I'll be perfect. I will die in your place for your sins as your substitute. I will forgive all your sins. I will put my spirit in you. I will make you new. I will give you a new identity, sons and daughters of God. I will, when you die one day, take you to be with me forever. I will resurrect you. That's my part. And what he says is, here's your part. You believe. You believe. And then you follow me. You be my precious people. You be my priestly people. You be my peculiar people. Right? You be these things. Right? That's what I've done. We have a better covenant, y'all. God is still great. He is big, yet he is near. He says, follow me. You follow me. Go be the church. Let me pray. And then we'll sing. Father, I thank you for Jesus, our mediator of a better covenant, of a new covenant, one that we do not have to fear, one where we can draw near the throne of grace, one where we don't have to come to the foot of the mountain, but you say, I'll put my spirit in you. I will be with you forever. Uh, Lord, your purpose has always been for your people as the purchased, redeemed people to be precious to you and to be peculiar and priestly. All these things, uh, you want us to be distinct. And so help us as a church to do that. We struggle, we fight, but you are good and you're gracious. Uh, just help us to let our lights shine in Savannah and beyond and fulfill your great commission to go and make disciples. Uh, Pray for us here that have been struggling with whatever. Uh, be near to us, strengthen us, help us. Uh, confirm your presence and your love for us because Christ died for us. It's in his name we pray, amen.